Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief Washington Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. We're through two weeks of the Biden presidency, and uh, already I'm seeing I'm seeing a few changes, uh, Rick. I thought it was notable to see the president in the Oval Office with a group of Republican senators. Um, they didn't let the press stay in there very long, so that was a big change. Uh, back in the days with Trump, we'd probably be there while the negotiations were ongoing and, um, you know, all of that. But... Um, but what was what was notable is is you had this meeting with these Republican senators, and they all came out uh, to the to the stakeout position outside of the West Wing. Didn't exactly sit there and take a bunch of questions either there. Uh, but we did hear uh, uh, from Susan Collins a pretty positive assessment of the meeting. Take a listen. I think it was an excellent meeting, and we're very appreciative that as his first official meeting in the Oval Office. Uh, the president chose to spend so much time with us in a frank and very useful discussion. Now, I used to uh, cover the State Department back in the day, as you remember, Rick. And whenever mm-hmm. you saw a diplomat come out and talk about a frank exchange of views, we were It's usually, a bad sign. <laughs> yeah, I, I would move over to my Pentagon beat, you know. <laughs> So, uh, uh, but but the bottom line is they 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 had their they had their meeting. Uh, the 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 president uh, says he's receptive to Republican ideas on this. Meanwhile, I, from what I can tell, Republicans um, uh, are going to not really get anything out of this. It looks like, thanks to those Georgia Senate races and some uh, creative and aggressive use of that whole budget reconciliation process. The Democrats on the first major legislative initiative of the Biden era are going to be able to do something solely on Democratic vo- uh, votes. Yeah, John is trending that way. I mean, look, this is a it's a major moment for Joe Biden to define what Bidenism means because he was elected on a whole lot of different things. Uh, not being Donald Trump was was one of them. Uh, a new a new era, a new tone, unity, bipartisanship was another one, and addressing COVID was another big one. And I think, to to my mind, what we're hearing from President Biden is a clarity of purpose around the latter of those three uh, priorities, and that this really is about addressing COVID, and that the process matters a lot less than the policy. And his his faith is that unity and bipartisanship will follow the the policy, uh, and that the process actually matters a little bit less. I think, though, taking this meeting signals that he gets it. He understands that Republicans want to be heard. The question now for the for the for the Biden White House is going to be, what kind of deal would they cut with Republicans because that process has started? And you know what? The other thing I think of is when progressives hear Susan Collins talk about a a, a, a productive conversation, uh, they get worried, frankly, that uh, that that Biden is going to give in to his notions around – maybe outdated notions around around bipartisanship and he'll give too much uh, when they have the votes. They have the votes in the House. They have the votes in the Senate. They know that these policies are broadly popular uh, and you hear it from the White House directly. They think the policies that he's putting forward already are bipartisan and they shouldn't have to go shopping for support. But it's going to be up to the president. Do you, do you take a smaller deal in the interest of, uh, of getting some Republicans to come along or do you, do you push it through just with Democrats? And the bottom line is the process does drive the policy here. And because of what happened in Georgia on January 5th, uh, the, the, the Democrats have the ability to do this entirely on Democratic votes. Now, Biden's instinct may be to try to strike a deal, get some Republicans on board, et cetera, et cetera. But the, 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 the force here, the, the power here 
the, the, the driving force for Democrats is their ability to do what they can do without Republican support. They don't need to placate Susan Collins. They don't need to try to placate, for God's sake, you know, 10 Republicans. Um, they, can, they can do this on their own. And I, and I wonder, you know, we, we, there was a little story uh, uh, this week, Rick, you, you probably saw kind of um, looking at the, uh, the, all the money that the Trump, that the Trump raised while he was challenging the election results. Um, raised, raised, you know, millions and millions of dollars, most of it small dollar donations to support his legal battle. Um, and, of course, very little of it actually went to the legal battle because there wasn't much of a legal battle. Uh, most of it has gone to this, you know, Trump uh, a super PAC. But guess how much of the money, given that it's, you know, for political purposes, guess how much of the money went uh, to help those two Republicans in that, in that Georgia runoff? I remember those fundraising appeals. Says we have to win those races. Help us win. Help yes. with the resources. We had to win those races. Yes, I'm gonna very directly. I'm gonna put it in the neighborhood of zero. Am I right? Am I close? It was it was roughly, or maybe I should say exactly zero. Uh, uh-huh. So so you know, and 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 if you if you talk to uh, people around the Republican leadership in the Senate, uh, you know, Mitch McConnell's been out there. He's criticizing Marjorie Taylor Greene now. He's um, he's supporting Liz Cheney. He obviously was highly critical of Donald Trump on January 6th um, and, and in the aftermath, all of that. But man, uh, they've got a lot of complaints, but I think that the one that really stings uh, for, for Senate Republicans is they believe they would have won both of those seats if it weren't for, for not only Trump's lack of support, but also uh, the, the, the steps he took uh, to foment a, a Republican civil war in Georgia, uh, to to undermine uh, the, even the idea of voting if Trump wasn't going to win, don't trust the election. So now we have this reality, and Biden's going to be able to do this without Republican support. So my, my long way of saying, if if you know, Democrats in a large part have Donald Trump to thank <laughs> for for the fact that they have the ability to uh, to, to push through to push this stuff through without Republican support. Yeah, and, and, and John, it's, it, it leads into the discussion, and it's a raging debate right now in the Republican Party about what to do. You mentioned uh, the fact that Mitch McConnell has so much to say now about Marjorie Taylor Greene, a House member, as well as Liz Cheney, a member of House leadership. Uh, a lot more to say than Kevin McCarthy has had to say about either topic. Those are coming to a head uh, just today on this Wednesday. Uh, and you also have the impeachment trial starting on Monday and or Tuesday rather, and uh, the White House lawyers have uh, not the, you know, from the I should say the former former White House occupants lawyers. These are Donald Trump's lawyers now, maybe and not his first choice or even his second choice for the teams. Uh, not even put his forward, third choice, I don't think. Maybe not even that. They put forward. I mean, to me, you know, the, the, the we know about the constitutional argument because we've already seen that litigated in part on the Senate floor. Forty-five Senate Republicans say there shouldn't even be a trial. Doesn't mean that there won't be others that change their mind on the conviction vote, but that's. That's established. I was struck by the fact that the lawyers for for former President Trump are asserting that um, that that what the president uh, was saying about having won the election and winning it in a landslide is not. They're not conceding the point that that was false. They're not conceding the point that that was a lie. They're presenting that as his opinion, and they are not conceding that it was a incorrect opinion. John, well, they even suggest it was an opinion that he had reason to believe was true. Uh, so this opens the door to him arguing, uh, using that that incredible forum of, of of the Senate floor and impeachment trial, eyes of the world, 
uh, it, it, you know, using that forum uh, to relitigate all his allegations of, of voter fraud. Now, that said, the people that I've spoke to around Trump are saying, and the Trump legal team is saying that that is not their main argument. Their main argument is a simple one, that the Senate impeachment trial is meant constitutionally to remove a, remove a president. And because he is already removed, removed because of the calendar, uh, this is no longer something that, uh, that is constitutional. Uh, Senate, Senate impeachment, the whole purpose of it is to remove a president. You can, once you've removed a president, you can use the, uh, you can have a vote uh, in the trial to uh, ban him from future office, but that's not the purpose. The purpose is to remove a president. So actually, I think it's not, um, not a ridiculous legal argument. I think that, that, that there are, you know, legitimate legal scholars uh, who look at the Constitution and say that uh, impeachment is a remedy to remove a president. Yes, that's what it is. So this is not constitutional. There are others uh, who who disagree with that. And uh, I, I, we, we have one case where we've had an impeachment trial of somebody who resigned and was no longer in office. It wasn't a president. It was a cabinet secretary. It was in 1876. It was Ulysses S. Grant's guy, you know. I, I, I mean, I don't know how much we want to put on that precedent. It was a controversial move when it happened. So this is, a, this is actually a legitimate argument. And this is where uh, Donald Trump will keep Republicans from voting to convict. But if they start going into, you know, you know, Georgia, the election was stolen from us in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, and, I mean, he's going to lose everybody. I mean, he might not lose Tommy Tuberville, but he's going to lose, he's going to lose people. So that's why they've got to keep it focused on this constitutional argument. And, and the, the problem for Republicans is that even if Trump is disciplined next week and doesn't say anything publicly. And even if his lawyers are able to keep it to the narrow question of constitutionality, which will get him, you know, will get him uh, acquitted uh, almost certainly. They're not going to have 67 votes uh, on the constitutional question. Uh, you still have to deal with Trump and what he represents. And the Marjorie Taylor Greene contingent of the party is still going to be out there. And to me, it's very telling that um, as of now, we know that, that uh, since leaving the White House two weeks ago, President Trump has had uh, an in-person conversation with Kevin McCarthy. Um, and he's had, according to Marjorie Taylor Greene, a phone call with, with Marjorie Taylor Greene, which contained a lot of praise for Marjorie Taylor Greene in, in her telling. In her telling. Um, I find it hard to believe that Donald Trump would have picked up the phone to, to – to to, uh, to to yell at Marjorie Taylor Greene, given how her her loyalty to, to Trump and to Trumpism, but he's called her a star. Yeah, a star. That's what she says. Now, but but these forces are still there, and and even if impeach the impeachment trial goes according to Republican plans, and uh, the president will the former president will claim himself to be to have been vindicated by it. You're still going to have to deal with elements in the party, elements in the activist base that are believing and will continue to believe absolute uh, and, and often cases very malicious lies about uh, other politicians uh, and the, the atmosphere uh, you know, about the political process, about the validity of the election and other politicians uh, are going to have to deal with the fact that there's just – there's a level of mistrust now in, in governing Washington where there are members of Congress who are literally afraid to walk on the House floor. They're afraid of some of their, uh, of some of their colleagues and uh, you know, that's, that's the Biden-Washington that is the reality. Well, it's going to be an interesting trial to watch because, you, first of all, uh, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court will not be presiding. It's the first time we've seen 
an impeachment trial that, of a president that was not presided uh, over by, uh, by the chief justice. Um, I think this raises actually some real problems for, for the Democrats uh, in, in terms of, of optics and in terms of perception of, of fairness and legitimacy to the process. The presiding officer will be the president pro tem of the Senate, Senator Pat Leahy of Vermont. Uh, you know, we've all known Pat Leahy for a long time. You know, I love the fact that he, uh, he's, a, he's a fan of the Grateful Dead, all that stuff. He also Batman happens movies, to be, yeah. yeah. Uh, he also happens to be somebody um, who is very much a partisan, um, who is already on record saying that Donald Trump should be removed from office. I mean, you now he is removed, but, 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 but convicted in an impeachment trial. And uh, he's also a juror, uh, in, in, insofar as you consider the, uh, the, the 100 senators jurors in, in, in this trial. So he's also going to be presiding. It's just, it's awkward. Uh, how, do you, how do you have somebody who is going to be, um, you know, ruling, you know, voting with the jury on this and who has already made his position clear before the trial has started uh, to be the person presiding over, over the proceedings and you know, making rulings on, you know, as, 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 as it goes on. I think, it's, I think it creates a real problem. I think it creates a real perception problem uh, for, for the Democrats. So, you know, but, but, but the House managers, I think, are going to present a potentially riveting case. It's a much easier case uh, to understand than the, than the last impeachment of Donald Trump. Uh, they, they will be using video of that horrific day they will be using video, I am, am sure, that shows uh, people rioting, invading the Capitol building in the name of Donald Trump, fight for Trump, people who are saying they're there because of their president. So that, you know, I think that's going to be a pretty compelling and emotionally charged uh, case to make. Um, but I also believe, uh, Rick, that the overwhelming interest on the part of the Democrat who lives in the White House now is for this thing to get over with and over with quickly. Uh, the Senate is not going to agree to a, we're going to do real work in the morning and a trial in the afternoon. It's going to be all trial for as long as it lasts. They want this to be a short trial. So, you know, stuff can start spinning out of control. I mean, you, you got to be careful. You start talking, you know, witnesses and if there's any movement out of Mar-a-Lago that the president wants to have his say. I mean, it, this could go off the rails. I think there's going to be a real interest for Democrats and, frankly, for Republicans who don't want to get stuck in a situation where they're defending Donald Trump's actions as well to keep this a short and sweet trial with a result that we probably already, I mean, we really do already know uh, the result. And in, in, in our second impeachment uh, trial in, 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 in the space of a year that we also know the result of. And, and I think you're right, the political forces, I mean, things have cooled uh, uh, quite a bit over the last month since the, the assaults on the Capitol. Um, a lot of harrowing details have come out, will continue to come out. Uh, it is going to be, I think you're right, a pretty riveting uh, couple of days at least, maybe longer, depending on witness, whether witnesses are called. It will be. Uh, but yeah. um, but not only do we, do we know the result, as you point out, but we also... Uh, we also are in a position where just, just from a pure political basis, the, I don't see an upside for anyone in, in making it a, a prolonged event. Uh, there's a lot of folks that are looking forward for different reasons to being on the other side of this trial. For sure. So, uh, Rick, and by the way, before we could take a break, I just want to point out that I have uh, covered, I, I looked into this, I, I, I did the math, um, I have covered two-thirds, 66.6% 
of all impeachment, presidential impeachment trials uh, in the history of America. And uh, once this one gets going, which I'll also be covering, I will have covered 75% of the presidential impeachment trials in American history. That's got to be a record. No one's beating it, right? <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, no I, I, it, it. It's, 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 it's daunting. I mean, it's, uh, you know, and if Sam Donaldson hadn't beaten me to the punch with that Johnson impeachment trial. Oh, man. Um, all right, look, we, we are going to go inside the Biden White House uh, when we come back uh, from the break. Uh, we'll be talking to a key uh, Biden advisor and spokesperson uh, for the Biden White House. Welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. Joining me now from the White House, we have the Principal Deputy Press Secretary, Corrine Jean-Pierre. Thank you for joining us, Corrine. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, John. Really appreciate the opportunity. So thank you. And it's great. You are, uh, you are our first uh, guest coming to us <laughs> from the Biden White House. So I, I, I just want to, before we get into all of the, um, you know, the, the, the current news, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about what that has been like, um, knowing mm-hmm. the way that White House press operation was under the previous uh, president. Can you just give me a sense? What, what, when did you first walk into the building? Um, on I assume it was January 20th. What did you find? Yeah. I mean, look, we, we started on day one, um, the moment that the um, uh, 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 Joe Biden became President Biden. I'm trying to figure out how to say that. <laughs> um, on, at 1201, we walked into we walked into uh, we walked into the White House and we got to work. And I think for us, it's very much keeping uh, keeping the mantra, kind of keeping the words, the promise that Joe Biden made on that President Joe Biden made on the campaign, which is getting to work on day one. I mean, we got here, we arrived, and we started getting ready for a, a, the White House press briefing, which I think is probably the first time um, a White House has done one on the on the on day number one. And we wanted to make sure, you know, Saki, Jen, working with Jen Saki has been such a, a pleasure because um, we really we really see ourselves, and we kind of joke around and say we're like partners in truth. And uh, what we wanted to do is make sure that we had transparency, uh, that we were that we used, you know, this office and she used the podium to really um, speak the truth to the American people. And so that was kind of we, we talked about that, you know, when we when we um, were announced back in November, late November. And that was kind of the goal that we had in mind. And we're doing that every day. And and, uh, you know, it's representing the president. And, and, you know, Joe Biden has been someone who's been around uh, for a long time. And he is you know, he's a people's guy and, you know, really respects and understands the office that he holds and respects being a, a public servant. And so we wanted to make sure that we we show that every day. And that's what we did. Like we got here, we, we got, you know, we got here, did our COVID test, you know, got, got our, got our assets and, you know, got our badge and literally just started getting ready for the first briefing. It was, yeah. it was a whirlwind. <laughs> yeah, that, you know, that, that, that was, that was quite a, a moment to see a, a full blown press briefing on day one, as you may recall, 
the previous administration waited until the second day. And I don't really think it qualified as a briefing because it, 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 uh, it was Sean Spicer coming into the briefing room, screaming at the reporters and storming out without answering any questions. So I didn't really consider it a briefing even on day two. <laughs> um, but uh, but so it, it just just to this all fascinates me. I, I, I think of transitions, yep. even normal transitions. Um, and this was not a normal transition. Uh, yeah, anyway. that's yeah. Uh, yeah. As as, I mean, just as like I said, we had to get a COVID test, right? That was the first thing we did when we got here. That is not part of a right. normal transition. Right, that's act. also but, a first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were, were you being were you, were you being figurative or were you being literal? It, it, it was twelve oh one when you walked into the building. Did you were you like waiting? I to mean, go pretty in much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because you know we had to wait uh, for um, you know President Joe Biden to become President Joe Biden, and. Right. Um, so it was right around noon, like you know. Um, and was there anybody from the uh, from the from the Trump White House still there, or or was it? No, no, yeah. no. I no, not not at least not the political staff. I did not. We did not see anyone at all. It's it's. I mean, on I was on the North Lawn um, until mm-hmm. about noon, um, and uh, I looked behind me at one point. Of course, we were in live coverage, rolling live coverage. And I looked behind me and I saw um, Chris Liddell. Again, nobody recognizes, even though he's kind of like the last guy, you know, holding the torch for the outgrowing administration. And I said hello to him. What's it like? What's going on? You know, I was kind of chained to my live position. And then he came back to me and he said, do you mind taking a picture? I mean, the guy had worked all four years um, in, in that White House, but he had never had somebody take a picture of him in front of the White House. So I took a picture. Yeah. yeah. And, and then he left. Yeah. It's yeah, so- I mean, you know, hearing that, John, it, it's so interesting because I was actually in, in the White House for um, the first two years of Obama, first two and a half years of Obama. And I think a lot of us feel this, you know, you kind of, you know, who have, who are here before and you really realize the White House, it's not about in many ways, it's not about the person, it's about the institution, right? It's about it's about the place, about what the meaning that it has. It's about, it's about the American people. And so there is this wonder, you know, and this really, it hits you. We have um, a travel okay. photo lid. Travel. Ah, there it is, travel photo lid. That's one of those things we always enjoyed. We always enjoyed you know hearing when you work the at the White House. House. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the White House in the, in the lower press. But you do have that, you do have that understanding, right? And I think that's why it's so important who sits in, in the Oval Office, right? Because you have to respect the institution. You have to respect um, the office. And so, you know, you were asking me how it felt. I, it felt really good knowing that I was back, knowing that I was going to, you know, working for the Biden-Harris administration, knowing that, you know, you know, like the work that was ahead and what we needed to do to get the, 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 the country back on track. And, you know, I have known Biden for President Biden um, since, you know, since 2009, you know, when I when I used to travel with him a lot back then. And he, there couldn't be, you know, there couldn't be anybody, you know, else that I don't think I would come back for, (laughs) you know, Um, because I know who he is and I know how much he respects this office. And I know that, you know, and I, and we see it, you know, I know he was going to get to work on day one. So this is like going back to your first, your, your original question is like, you know, we got to work, we got to work on day one. Um, And that's like signing executive orders, you know, 
um, introducing legislation, the immigration legislation, um, you know, the U.S. Citizenship Act, um, and really just really getting to work on trying to bring relief to the American people. And that that's what, you know, that's what, you know, wakes you up every morning. That's what gets you going every morning, at least for me. And, and the outgoing administration didn't leave a mess for you, literally. I mean, like you, you didn't see the cues missing from your keyboards, did you? Or no. anything? Uh, I mean, in fact, I mean, it was pretty no. empty for the last week before before the inauguration. Yeah, that's what we had heard. We had heard that folks had left, um, you know, I don't so know, it, weeks before or days prior. And so, no, no, it was, you know, there was no issues at all. I mean, you know, I'm not going to, yeah. There were no issues at all. It was literally getting into our offices and getting to work. Kelly, Kelly McEnany, I, th- I believe her, she flew to Florida, left permanently on the 15th, even though she oh, wow. would pop up occasionally on Twitter. She certainly wasn't responding to inquiries from people like me um, in the end. But but I understand she did leave uh, a series of notes, right? Uh, to um, Yeah, to yeah, know. she did. She left series of notes. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I know her from my days, you know, doing CNN um, in the green room. <laughs> um, so yeah. she, yeah, so she left, you know, she left us a note, the folks that she knew and, you know, and, you know, and left us some kind words. Um, well, that's good. Uh, so, so, so moving on to your, the, the current environment here. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the, the president seemed to have a, uh, uh, a cordial, if not entirely productive meeting with the Republicans, uh, the 10 Republican senators. It's, it's fascinating to me how much different the, the world is right now, the political world is right now that faces Joe Biden, given that uh, Democrats won both of those Georgia uh, uh, Senate races, because he's in a position which you w- wouldn't have known until after January 5th, and was actually considered unlikely, where he can actually get through his top priority, his first top priority, without a single Republican vote. Yeah, I mean, look, if you think about Joe Biden and President Biden and his career, he is someone who has um, easily reached over, you know, the other uh, across the aisle and have has gotten big things done with Republicans and Democrats. And so, you know, it was important to him to hear from all sides, including Republicans, the 10 Republicans that he spoke with and met with, um, nine of them, which he, he met with in person. One of them was on, on the phone on Monday. And so that was critical and that was uh, key. He, he had uh, Democrat senators uh, here today. And look, I, you know, John, I think, uh, you know, what I think what matters is that you know, we are we are facing what, the worst economic uh, crisis, um, a year of economic crisis, that, you know, that we've not seen in generations. And, you know, we, we have to and this is what the president believes we have to deliver for the American people. And that's meeting the moment. Right. And, you know, you hear you hear us talk about going big. And, yeah, we have to go big because this is a, a crisis that is like no other. We have to to meet people where they are. When you think about one million, you know, more Americans who filed uh, claims for unemployment insurance last week, when you think about the 30 million Americans who, you know, reported that that, you know, didn't have enough food to eat. <laughs> this is real. Like this is real real life for so many people. And this is what President Biden talked about on the on the trail for, you know, for for many, many months. And and the time is now. Like we have to act swiftly. We have to move. Um, people are relying on us, counting on us. 
and counting on him and his leadership. And I think that's what you're seeing. You're seeing the kind of the, the beginning of that, like the bipartisanship conversation, listening to everyone, seeing what folks have to bring to the table. But at the end of the day, we it's the American people that matter and we have to deliver for the American people. We have a mandate. I mean, this is the, to your point, right? To your point about winning uh, Georgia, we have a mandate. We have a mandate to, to you know, to make people whole and get that, them that $2,000 check. We have a mandate uh, to make sure that kids, uh, schools are open and kids go back to school safely. Schools are open safely. We have to, a mandate to make sure that we have a vaccination program that's comprehensive and that gets uh, shots in people's arms. And so that is what we're trying to do. You have a massive challenge in terms of the pandemic, in terms of the, econ- yep. the underlying economic environment. Uh, but but at what point, and I know that, that, that your position has been clear that the, the bigger risk is going too small, not going too large in this yeah. COVID relief bill. But at what point do you get concerned about the size of our deficit? I mean, we're, we're beyond what we ever thought was even feasible. Yeah, no, it's a good question here. But here's the thing, John, you know, if you if you look at, there's been, I think, about four polls that have been out there that has shown majority of the American people supporting, supporting, um, you know, our piece of legislation, uh, the American Rescue Plan. Um, there's been out today that shows that, yes. Yeah, I mean, there's bipartisanship for this. And that tells you so much about what people are going through. Um, and then there is also majority of Americans saying that, you know, uh, you know, of, of Republicans saying that they should they should work with uh, Joe Biden, President Biden. So we have a we have support. We have bipartisan support from the American people. And when you have a crisis like this, and it's it's compounding, right? I, I talked about the economic crisis, but we have COVID. Thousands of people are dying a day, a day. Um, and, uh, and then we have, you know, the climate, you know, the climate crisis, those four crises that the, the president talks about a lot and, you know, the racial, racial equity, uh, crisis as well that we really need to address in a real way. When you talk about these compounding issues, uh, you have to deal with them head on. And so, and we see that from, from the response that we're seeing in these different polls from the American people. And so, you know, that's what we're trying to do. And we have, I mean, and we're seeing it from mayors. We had 400 mayors, um, you know, bipartisan mayors who wrote a letter that they sent it to Congress saying that this bill is important. We even heard, you know, we we're talking about Trump. We even heard from Trump's, you know, former e- economist saying that this piece of legislation uh, was critical and important. So, you know, you know, we just have to keep having those conversations with folks on on the Hill. But I feel like, and I think the president feels like uh, we are meeting this moment because we're hearing it from from the American people very loud and clear. Yeah, it's it's, and, and I know you're just about out of time. I mean, it it, it is interesting to see the support for the larger uh, uh, bill in terms of of COVID economic relief. Uh, it's actually greater than the support for Biden's overall approval rating. I mean, there, there there's a there's a there are there's clear bipartisan support for it. I was asking, and we can talk about this in the future. Yeah. But I, I remember going back and forth during the Obama administration, where you know Obama was having secret meetings with Boehner and then public meetings and trying to you know come to some kind of a grand compromise to deal with the deficit. Now the deficit is so much bigger than it was back then. Obviously yeah. the immediate problems are also are also bigger. Okay, a couple just before you go, two yeah. very quick, very quick yeah. ones. Um, absolutely. One, absolutely. 
I, I see briefings abound, uh, you know, on a single day, State Department's briefing, the Pentagon is briefing, the White House is briefing. That shouldn't be unusual, but for four years, that kind of stuff wasn't happening. So, so you know, it's good to see that. You also have the, uh, the, the healthcare, um, you know, obviously the, the COVID task force uh, briefing as well regularly. What about the president? How often do you expect we'll see President Biden before reporters uh, taking questions, holding press conferences? So, um, you know, I think already a couple, not even I think, a couple of times, um, you know, he has taken, you know, some questions from 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 the pool. Um, So he has that as he's signing executive orders and they shout questions and he's answered. And he did do uh, a QA and a last week. Uh, when we when um, uh, last week when he was um, doing another another one of the executive orders, so he has he's been out there. He's taking questions, um, and I think he wants to be very transparent. He wants to be out there making sure that he's answering questions. So I think we'll we'll see more of that. There's there's nothing. I don't think there's nothing new there um, with him, and we'll continue to see that. Um, you know, but I, I just wanted to go back a little bit on on the deficit question, it's, and it goes back to and you're you're right. You know. There is, you know, the deficit is a real thing, but we haven't seen anything like this. We really have to meet the moment when we're talking about, you know, people and children and families going hungry and cannot literally put food on the table. When we're talking about people who cannot pay their rent or their mortgage um, and trying to figure out how to do that. February 1st just passed and people you know, are trying to figure out how are they going to keep it together as a family. I mean, these are real crises and, you know, we have to do everything that we can. And that's what the president, President Biden believes this, you know, Vice President Harris believes this, that we have to do everything that we can uh, to meet that moment, to, to really give true relief to the American people. For sure. And I'm sure he's also aware that there are limits. I mean, you can't just like completely open up and say, we're going to start you know, throwing um, $100 bills out of airplanes, uh, 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 which would probably be very useful for the people <laughs> below. <laughs> we look at the economic uh, package, you know, that number, you know, it, 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 we talked to economists, you know, we talked to, it, it, we, it's not a number that came from, a, you know, it wasn't a pie in the sky number. It was a, a real number to try to deal with the moment that we're in. But I, you know, but, but I hear you, I hear what you're sure. saying. And, and then, and then my, my other question um, uh, is the, the, in terms of the Biden family, there were obviously, you know, questions that were made when Frank Biden, the president's brother, was, you know, touting his family connections with the law firm he works with in, in Florida. Um, do you, and I'm not saying there's is or not an issue there, but what I'm wondering is, is there going to be a policy? There was talk of a, of a policy from the White House uh, regarding uh, the the Biden family and business dealings relations with the government, that kind of stuff is is there? Yeah, is that still under yeah. review, or is that going to happen, or what, yeah, what does that look no, like? No. Yeah, no, we it's it's you know it's out there. We've been you know we've talked about it a few times. How you know you know there is you're not going to see a Biden working in the White House, right? You're not going to see you know that that just is not going to happen. You're not going to see any family ties. Uh, to the administration. Uh, you know, President Biden has been very clear about that. Um, he's been very clear about, you know, the kind of the the ethics that he's putting forth um, for all of us, right? For mm-hmm. for himself, like whatever he asks us to do, he's going to do it for himself as, as president. So he's been pretty clear uh, about that. 
Um, and, um, you know, and that's, that's kind of the, the purview we're going to continue to continue to be. All right, Kareen, it's a real pleasure to talk to you um, as you get settled in. I uh, hope we have uh, a chance to, to check in regularly with you, and I'll certainly hope to see you around the Absolutely. White House. Absolutely. Great. Pleasure talking to you. We'll talk to you. We'll, we'll talk to you soon in person soon. Uh, take care. <laughs> Jean-Pierre. Bye, everyone. Uh, Thank you. Deputy Press Secretary uh, in the Biden White House. And that is all the time we have for Powerhouse Politics. Rick, as you probably noticed, had to uh, he suddenly disappeared during that break. But we'll get him back. I promise we will get Rick back next week. Uh, so uh, thank you. Thank you to our executive producer, Trevor Hastings. We'll be back with more Powerhouse Politics next week. <laughs>